The following program is sponsored by Fairly Spiritual on KCIS. Hey everyone, it's Dr. Doug Birch, and you're listening to The Fairly Spiritual Show. So I don't know if you grew up in a church like this or went to a church like this, but it was a place where people talked about the Holy Spirit almost in a hierarchical way. They talked about some people being more anointed or being more spiritual or having better gifts or greater gifts. That's not how the Holy Spirit is talked about in the New Testament. The Holy Spirit was given to us so that we could be one body, where we could value the diversity in the room, but have one foundation in Christ Jesus. We'll talk about that on today's show. Welcome back to The Fairly Spiritual Show. I am Dr. Doug Bursch, and I am so glad you're listening to today's show. So I don't know what your experience has been with people preaching on the Holy Spirit. There's a lot of confusion out there, and there's also a lot of, I don't know, just bad modeling or bad instructions or just bad theology when it comes to the working of the Holy Spirit in the church. And one of the things I've seen in some circles is where we create this hierarchy of spiritual people. We have these ideas where this person is just a little bit more spiritual than everyone else, or they are really anointed and they have super anointings and just more of the Holy Spirit radiating through them. And so, you know, we we should follow that person a little bit more. Uh, Often we actually talk about some gifts seeming like they're more important than other gifts. Well, that guy's got the gift of healing, and this guy's got the gift of discernment, and this person's a prayer warrior. And there's something that we do in the way we talk about the Holy Spirit that doesn't actually bring us together, but causes divisions. This is incredibly sad, because that is contrary, in fact opposite, to why the Holy Spirit has been poured out. The Holy Spirit was not poured out in order to divide the church or divide Christians, but the Holy Spirit was poured out so that we could have relationship with God, but so we could come together as one, so we could be unified, so we could value the diversity in the room, yet truly come together as one, where we could recognize that every person doesn't have everything that everyone needs, and so we need to gather together as a group so the fullness of God can be expressed through the body of Christ, not just through one super spiritual person. The Holy Spirit has been poured out. And there's so many ways in Scripture where we look at the Holy Spirit is not about my individual spiritual piety. And in America, we often make it about that. You know, you need the fullness of the Holy Spirit so you can have your life more sanctified, so you can figure out what your spiritual gifts are. So it's personal You, 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 you. That's not why the Holy Spirit was poured out. The Holy Spirit has been poured out in your life and my life for us. It's so that God can build us into a community. We know that God's promise to Abraham was, Abraham, I'm going to make you into a people that will bless the rest of the people on the face of the earth. Well, part of God's uh, way of fulfilling that promise is salvation, right? We've been saved from sin, you know, the sin that was bound us, the sin that kept us dead, the sin that made us enemies uh, of God. Well, we've been saved. That's good news. Salvation has restored our relationship with God, and it's also helping us to have relationships with one another. 
Well, salvation is part of the story. Like we're saved. And so now we are righteous and now we can communicate with God or commune with God and we can abide in the fullness of his righteousness. But this whole issue about making a people that will bless the rest of the people on the face of the earth, that is an activity of the Holy Spirit. We've been let out of our bondage, but now how do we live? How do we bring about that promise where we become a holy people, where as a holy people, we become a blessing to others? Well, that's through the work of the Holy Spirit. And we see that. Jesus says, before you leave and do anything that I've commanded, wait so that you will be clothed with power from on high, so that you will be witnesses of me. We see that in Acts 2, that Jesus says, wait, I want you to be witnesses, or at the beginning of Acts, wait so that you can witness me. Now, sometimes when we see witnesses, we say, okay, the Lord is going to empower us so that we can really say great things about God, that people will turn to God because of what we say. Or we can do tremendous miracles, and those tremendous miracles will be a witness of about God, and people will turn to God. I don't believe that's what the scripture is saying when Jesus says, wait so that you'll be clothed with power from on high and that you can be my witnesses. To be witnesses is a legal term. It's a term like this. Uh, did you witness the crime? Yes, I did. I saw the crime happen. Did you witness the crime? No, I did not. I did not see it happen. Who do we allow to testify in the courts? Well, hopefully, if the court is just, we allow witnesses, people who've seen the event, people who've experienced what happened. Jesus gives this reality to us. He says, don't go out and just talk about me or preach about me or tell people good stories about what happened in the past. You need more of that than that. You need more than just stories from the past. You need to witness me. You need to see me. You need to experience me wherever you go. I want you to be my witnesses in Jerusalem, to experience me in Jerusalem, but I want you to be my witnesses in Judea. I want you to experience me in Judea, but not just Judea till the ends of the earth, that wherever you're scattered, wherever you're persecuted, whatever happens, you will find me. Nothing will separate you from my love and from my presence. So before you go out and do the religious stuff, wait to be clothed with power from on high, so that you will witness me. We miss this reality, the witness of God, to witness, to experience God, to know God, is, is a crucial role of the work and the baptism of the Holy Spirit. And we know this to be such a crucial role because they wait, and, and you know they wait in an upper room, and when is the Holy Spirit poured out? The Holy Spirit is poured out on the day of Pentecost. Now, on the day of Pentecost, it was traditional for the Israelites to celebrate the giving of the law. That, you know, they, they were freed from bondage with Passover, right? They were led out of Egypt and into the wilderness. Uh, but once they got in the wilderness, they didn't know how to live. And so God showed them how to live by giving them uh, his, his promises, the word, the Ten Commandments. Moses finds from God, how do we abide in the wilderness? So in the Jewish calendar, there'd be the celebrating of Passover, that's freedom from bondage in Egypt, and then the celebration of Pentecost, which is the giving of the law. Well, the New Testament church, uh, what was their Passover? What happened at Passover for those in, in the book of Acts? Well, we know what happened at Passover, the death and then resurrection of Jesus Christ. So Jesus Christ becomes our Passover lamb. Jesus Christ becomes the one who rescues us from bondage. So that's a very clear picture, right? Just as the children of Israel were led out of Egypt and out of their bondage into the wilderness, we are led out of our bondage through Jesus Christ, his death and resurrection. We are saved. 
But the same thing happens. Just as the children of Israel were led out of their bondage into the wilderness, we can be saved from our bondage and led into a wilderness where we still don't know how to live. So on the day of Pentecost, when they're celebrating the giving of the law, maybe the Christians are thinking, well, that's what we need to do. We just need to do the law better. We just need to do the rituals better. We just need to do the temple practices better. But the Holy Spirit is poured out on Pentecost to show us that there is a replacement, that we don't live based on laws and rules and structures and systems. We live based on the presence of God. We don't wait for Moses to come down from the hill and give us the Ten Commandments. Each of us get to go and be with God face to face. The glory, the tongues of fire rest on each person. And because it rests on each person, it's a sign that we are holy and set apart and that the Holy Spirit can abide in us and with us. And now, free from bondage, we don't just wander around the wilderness just following rules and laws and regulations. We welcome the Holy Spirit and we live based on the Spirit's leading. We see that we live based on the Spirit's leading and the Spirit is going to do something when we yield to him individually and collectively. What happens in Acts? And again, read this as as you would. I'm just summarizing these things that's in there. If you go to the book of Acts, uh, what happens when the Spirit is poured out? Well, it says they begin to speak in other tongues. And there's a lot of confusion. Scholars will argue two sides of this. Some scholars will argue that everyone filled with the Holy Spirit begin to speak in unique languages, you know, specific languages, different languages. Uh, Others will argue they spoke in an angelic tongue or just some Holy Spirit tongue that was unfamiliar to people, but people begin to hear the word of God, the mighty works of God in their own language. See, what happened is as they begin, excuse me, as they begin to speak, I'm going to leave that in. There's I'm clearing my throat on the radio. Sorry, we're just going to do that. As they begin to speak uh, in these tongues, people who had come from all over uh, the area to the temple to, to do temple practices, people of different languages began to hear the mighty works of God in their own language. So did each person speak in a tongue of their own language? Or did they just, the Holy Spirit translate it that when they heard this heavenly tongue, they heard it in their own language? For me, it doesn't really matter. What matters is what happened. What happened is that people filled with the Holy Spirit were able to communicate in a way that reached people from different nations, different languages, uh, different backgrounds, different cultural perceptions of the world. Wherever their background was, wherever they came from, whatever language they spoke, when people are filled with the Holy Spirit, the Holy Spirit gives us a way to communicate to that person to the heart to what they need. We're able to proclaim the mighty works of God in a way that is understandable. This is a gift of the Spirit. So we see in Acts, there's this reverse of the Tower of Babel. The Tower of Babel is when, you know, everybody's uniting in the Old Testament to build this great city and this great tower and to use their power for their own purposes, contrary to God's will. And God looks down and says, look, look at, they've become powerful. They've basically become, they're living, they're, you know, I've blessed them to be fruitful, to multiply and have dominion, but they're not serving me. They're serving themselves and they're of one language and they're of one culture and they're coming together and they're working against my purposes. So the Tower Babel, that story says that God frustrates our languages, keeps us from working together because when we work together, we work together for evil. 
Well, Acts 2 is the reverse of the Tower of Babel. It's we have different languages and different cultures, but now that we have been sanctified and filled with the Holy Spirit, God allows for us to connect and to relate and to truly work together from different cultures, different tribes, different tongues, different nations. The Holy Spirit brings unity. It doesn't level out the diversity in the room. People still come from different tribes and tongues and nations. But the Holy Spirit gives us a way to interact in a powerful way, regardless of our differences. Gives us a way to unite around God and around Christ, regardless of our differences. The Holy Spirit brings unity. This is one of the biggest miracles in in the book of Acts. You know, when you read through Acts, you see all these signs and wonders and these miracles, and maybe you'd even think of some of the miracles that you see, that, oh, wow, when, 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 when someone is healed or when there's a revelation given to one of the, you know, the apostles or there's a vision or a dream, there are so many miracles in Acts that we could focus in on. But one of the most powerful miracles that you see in almost every chapter of Acts is this miracle. Regardless of the diversity, regardless of the conflicts, regardless of all the trials they faced, the Holy Spirit kept them together as a unified body. I want to say that again. One of the biggest miracles that occurred in the book of Acts is not all the signs and wonders or the specific miracles where, you know, the apostle Paul would go into a city and something happened here. And it's not the individual stories. The larger story, the larger miracle is that regardless of the conflict, regardless of the chaos, regardless of the disagreements that occurred within the church and outside the church, they were unified. They kept coming back to a unity. We see this with Paul and Barnabas where they're preaching and they keep reaching Gentiles. And these Gentiles are are growing in their faith, but the Gentiles aren't living this this life that matches up to what uh, Jewish believers believe they're supposed to live. They're not being circumcised. They're not following certain temple rituals. That's a divide in the church. And it's a big divide in the church where, where Paul is being attacked by not pagans, by not unconverted Jews. He's being attacked by Jewish Christians or Jewish Christ followers who believe you need to do more than just be saved by faith. There's other rituals you need to do. And then also they're being uh, attacked by Gentile Christians who don't want to deal with these Jewish Christians. There are all kinds of divides going on. There are people from Jerusalem who come out and say, you know what Paul and Barnabas are saying? It's not quite correct. You also need to do these things. There's so much conflict that eventually Paul and Barnabas go back to Jerusalem and they're, what, what do we do with this? Do, what we're preaching, do you agree with what we're preaching? Do you, are we on the same page? And there's tremendous diversity and there's tremendous disagreement occurring within these communities. We know that there was a time where Peter stopped associating with Gentile Christians because of their uncleanliness and Paul had to confront them. That's a pretty big disagreement. But regardless of the disagreements, as these men and women yielded to the Holy Spirit, the Holy Spirit brought them to a place of unity. We see there's a disagreement between Paul and Barnabas on their second missionary journey where Barnabas wants to take uh, you know, John Mark, who basically bailed on them the last journey, and Paul's like, I don't want to do that. And it's a big disagreement. It's such a disagreement that they part ways. But again, they don't part the same gospel. They bless each other and they continue to preach the same gospel. One of the things I I don't think we recognize enough is look at our culture right now. Look at how divided we are. Look at how many denominations we have. Look at how whenever something goes wrong, another thing breaks off and becomes another denomination, another this, another that. We are full of fractions, our factions. 
there's factions all over. Factionalism has has just been rooted, has expressed the Protestant church and, and the Catholic church as well. But what happens in the book of Acts? If they were to go in their flesh, in their own desires, there would have been the church of Paul and Barnabas and the Jerusalem Council. There would have been the church of the Gentiles and the church of the Jews. There would have been the churches of the rich and churches of the poor. Then when Paul and Barnabas split, there'd be Paul's church and Barnabas's church, and there'd be all these denominations, and we wouldn't have just one scripture, we'd have several. We'd have, do you have the scripture written by Paul? Do you have the scripture written by Barnabas? Do you have the scripture written by the Jerusalem Council? What scripture do you have? But we don't have that, and we take that for granted. We say, well, of course not. We just have one Bible, and we have one story. That one story is a miraculous provision of the Holy Spirit. That these men and women, when even when conflicts occurred, even when strong disagreements occurred, they were able to surrender to the Holy Spirit and find in the Holy Spirit a way to unite, even though they didn't always agree. We see that in Acts 15. In Acts 15, here's this issue. Paul and Barnabas come to the Jerusalem council and they're saying, what are we going to do? We believe these Gentiles uh, don't need to follow these laws and rules and regulations. We believe it is faith in Jesus Christ alone that saves us, so we're not going to lay any rituals on them. We're not going to make them be circumcised. And there's much debate within the Jerusalem council. So they haven't necessarily decided this. It's not settled in their heart. Even the disciples who spent time with Jesus they still have not translated that really this is how we're going to bring the Gentiles in. They're thinking about Jesus' teaching, but it's not enough to give them agreement. They have to yield to the Holy Spirit in that moment. But because they waited for the Holy Spirit to be poured out, and they're not just living on the commandments of Jesus when they walked with Jesus, they're living right now saying, we need your revelation now. We need you to interpret those words for this situation right now. And so we see in Acts 15, 7, Peter says, okay, you've given us this issue. Let me tell you my perspective. He says, it says, after there had been much debate, Peter stood up and said to them, brethren, you know that in the early days, God made a choice among you that by my mouth, the Gentiles would hear the word of the gospel and believe. And that's talked about earlier in, in Acts, that Peter goes to this group of Gentiles. He begins to just preach and they're filled with the Holy Spirit. And he sees that I, I can't withhold this from them. They have the same spirit that we have. And so he goes on, he says, And God who knows the heart testified to them, giving them the Holy Spirit, just as he also did to us. And he made no distinction between us and them, cleansing their hearts by faith. So how is Peter making this decision? He's making this decision that the spirit within me is within them and it testifies to my heart. I, I know that they have the same abiding presence of God that I have. And because of that, we're going to be one. Because of that, we're going to work together. Because of that, there's not going to be the Gentile church and the Jewish church. Because of that, we're not going to lay things on them that, that, that they can't do and put expectations on them that we have of ourselves because God showed that he had made them righteous, not by them doing rules and laws and regulations and temple rituals. He showed their righteousness by filling them with the Holy Spirit. He had set them apart and made them holy temples. We go on later in Acts 15 and, and James stands up and James, the brother of Jesus, and he uses a very similar logic that it's not just, well, let's go through all the things Jesus said and, and let's kind of weigh and measure those things or let's have a good debate about these things. No, James reflects what the others reflect, and he says this in, in 1528, For it seemed good to the Holy Spirit and to us to lay upon you no greater burden than these essentials. 
and then they just give them a few simple things that they need to do in order for Jewish Christians and Gentile Christians to get along. I love that phrase. James says, it seemed good to us in the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is speaking to us right now, and because the Holy Spirit is speaking and moving in us, we're not going to place on you something that will distance us between each other. It is the Holy Spirit that brings that unity. We see the unity of the Spirit in so many places. The Spirit gives us the ability to pursue and abide in profound unity. Ephesians 1 excuse me, Ephesians chapter 4, verse 1. This is what the Apostle Paul says, Therefore I, the prisoner of the Lord, implore you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you have been called, with all humility and gentleness, with patience, showing tolerance for one another in love, being diligent to preserve the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. This ability to be gentle, to be patient, to be tolerant, this is done through the Spirit. We know that's even the fruit of the Spirit. The fruit is gentleness, kindness, self-control. That our ability to exist with each other in a way that's edifying, our ability to exist with people who differ from us or disagree with us, is a working of the Spirit. Paul goes on and says, There is one body and one Spirit, just as you also were called into one hope of your calling, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God, and Father of all, who is over all and through all and in all. The Holy Spirit has been poured out so that we can connect together in unifying ways. 1 Corinthians 12, uh, verse 4, Paul puts it this way. Now, there are a variety of gifts, but the same Spirit. See, some people focus in on their giftings and what's your gifting? What's my gifting? And what makes you spiritual? And what makes me spiritual? And Paul comes at this again and again. Your different, spirituals, your different spiritual gifts don't mean anything unless you understand their purpose. Their purpose is to edify and build up and strengthen the body, the community. They are to be exercised in the community for the community, not just to show that you're a super spiritual person. Beware of that person who's like, I need to pray about this because my prayers are better than everyone else. I need to preach about this because my preaching is better than everyone else. I need to, anyone who lifts up their giftings as somehow they're the secret messenger of God's kingdom is a dangerous person. Because even if God gives maybe you a, a special focus in giftings, that focus is no more important than anyone else in the room. And everyone else in the room has the same measure of the fullness of the Holy Spirit. So we're not going to unite by the fact that, well, you're a super spiritual person. We're going to unite by the fact that the Holy Spirit will help us to discern what is true and right and pure and holy. He says, now there are a variety of gifts, but the same Spirit. And there are varieties of ministries in the same Lord. There are varieties of effects, but the same God who works all things in all persons. But to each one is given the manifestation of the Spirit for the common good. Why has the Spirit been given? And this is such a key central thing. The Holy Spirit has been given for the common good. That's what Scripture says. You were not given the fullness of the Holy Spirit so you can just be a law unto yourself and you know i don't care what anybody else thinks this is what i believe this is who i am and i'm a spiritual person forget you no the holy spirit has been given for the common good that means spiritually minded people are always working in a way that understands the reason i am a quote unquote spiritual person full of the holy spirit is so that i can live and work and act in a way that is for the common good I care about the common good of my marriage. I care about the common good of my family and my children. Not just my way. 
what God is doing through us in the Holy Spirit. I care about the common good for the church that I serve, not just my wants and my needs. The concept of going to a church or not going to the church based on your own selfish needs is antichrist. We don't go to churches based on whether they serve our needs. We go for the common good. We're called for Holy Spirit. Have you called me to be a part of this body? The giftings that you have in me, are they needed in this body? And do I need the giftings in this body? The whole concept that people make their spiritual decisions based on, well, you know, it wasn't good for me. It's not about you. It's the common good. And when you're led by the Holy Spirit, you think about the common good. You think about how your interactions have impact on others. You think about how others are affected by your selfish decisions. You you think about how others will be benefited or hurt based on your giving or withholding of the spiritual gifts that God has placed in your life. The common good. But to each one is given the manifestation for the common good. Are you working for the common good? Are you allowing the Holy Spirit to move in your life? What are you living for? The Spirit's called to unite us, not to divide us. Let's yield to the fullness of the Holy Spirit. I got so much to say about this, but I ran out of time here. Read the scripture. Do a word search on the Spirit. You'll find this over and over again. The Spirit has been given to give us life and life abundantly as a community for the common good. Hey, if you want to text me, 360-818-4513, 360-818-4513. And we need your donations to stay on the air. So go to fairlyspiritual.org, fairlyspiritual.org and donate. You can also find my book there, The Community of God. So go to the website, fairlyspiritual.org or text me, 360-818-4513. I'll see you later. The preceding broadcast was sponsored by Fairly Spiritual. When you write or call this program, be sure to mention you heard it on KCIS.